0: Hey, well, how you doing? My name is Aaron, like what Andy said. And uh, I won't be having Andy be an application point for any of my points that I'm making, so just so you know. But uh, yeah, glad that you could make it this morning. Uh, so I'm not the regular preacher here, just want to mention that so I can calibrate your expectations this morning. We're going to be talking about calibrating our expectations later in this sermon. So, um, so if you've been coming here this summer, uh, you know that we've been preaching through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. So Oh, and just so you know, um, so here at River City, we typically preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Um, uh, and the main reason we do that is because we really want God through His Word to set the agenda and the emphasis for what we talk about and what gets pre- get, what gets preached about here on, on Sundays, as opposed to uh, us setting our own agenda and emphasis for like uh, for that. Um, that's one of our desired outcomes for that doing that. Um, and generally that 's a pretty easy philosophy to have when it comes to preaching until you reach a book like Proverbs, because once you get past chapter nine there 's just a divinely inspired randomness to the book, and I mean that in the best way possible <laughs> so there 's lots of really helpful stuff all over the place in proverbs but and um, man they 're just uh, just really helpful to think and pray about, um, but the way it 's structured is just doesn 't necessarily lend, it doesn 't necessarily lend itself to preaching through a passage necessarily. So so this summer, we've been focusing on some of the themes in Proverbs, such as money, anger, the character of God, the heart, just stuff like that There's just been really helpful. So, and like what we've talked about in other weeks, Proverbs is about helping us grow in wisdom. It's about helping us grow in wisdom. But wisdom, according to Proverbs, isn't ultimately first and foremost about what we know. It's about who we know. Because wisdom... Wisdom starts with knowing who God is. So like what Brandon mentioned last week when he was preaching, um, what it means to be wise is to increasingly reflect the image and character of God in how we think and live. What it means to be wise is to increasingly reflect the image and character of God in how we think and how we live. So in light of that this morning, um, I'm going to be preaching on the topic of friendship. Friendship. So, uh, spoiler alert, uh, there's way more about friendship in the book of Proverbs than what we have time to hit on this morning, so this is only going to be a half-hour sermon, it's not going to be an hour and a half. And uh, so if you're interested, um, I'd really encourage you to go to, this week I'd encourage you to go to a website like BibleGateway.com, just type in Friendship Proverbs, and like it'll give you a bunch of stuff in there that you can think and pray about like in the coming weeks, and like, there's some really great stuff in there. So, also, um, for what it's worth, the best book on friendship that I've ever read um, is a book called Messy, Beautiful Friendship by Christine Hoover. Now, if it sounds like that's a book written towards women, it is. Okay. But it's really helpful. I found it really helpful. I've been reading that this summer. Um, I got a lot out of it. Um, if you're a guy and uh, you want to better understand some of the things that your wife or your girlfriend or your mom um, like struggles with in regards to friendship and how the gospel addresses those things, um, that'd be a, definitely be worth your time. So, um, and full disclosure, um, I've been preaching sermons off and on for about 15 years now, like, um, but for a variety of reasons, I think this might have been the most challenging sermon that I've ever tried to prepare and write in these last fifteen years, you know. And part of the reason for that is like friendship is just kind of this abstract kind of topic, you know, in general. But uh, but also like people are typically just all over the board when it comes to friendship. Like, I mean, people. I mean, we really are. Um, and what I mean by that is that, and this is admittedly reductionistic, but some of us just don't take friendship real seriously, you know, seriously enough because it's just not something that's real high on our priority list for any number of reasons. You know, and then there's some of us who just take friendship way too seriously, like to the point where if our friendships don't go exactly the how we want them to and if our expectations aren't met precisely and consistently, then, man, our just whole world flies out of orbit. And it's not controversial to say that there's nothing healthy and beneficial about any of that. You know, because like, and we've all experienced some variation of those things. Not just some of us, like all of us. So, and I would gently contend that a big part of why we struggle so much with friendship is that we haven't trained ourselves to understand friendship in the light of the gospel. That we haven't trained ourselves to understand friendship in the light of the gospel. Because the reality is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, your outlook and approach to friendship should be different than those who aren't followers of Jesus. And when I say it should be different, what I don't mean is like different for the sake of being different. That's not the, what I'm getting at at all. But like, but different in the sense that the gospel is what motivates and informs us to look and approach of friendship differently and in a unique way. Which begs the question: So, what does it mean to understand friendship in light of the gospel? So to that end, uh, we're going to hit on three of the many things, like three, because that's what we have time for, three of the many things the Proverbs says about friendship, that w- what friendship is about. So friendship is about choosing friends wisely, friendship is about calibrating our expectations, and friendship is about letting God be God. So it's about choosing friends wisely, calibrating our expectations, and letting God be God. So let's pray. So God, we pray that like um, what you have to say to us through Proverbs, and we'll just really be gospel-centered, and just I pray that you'll speak through me. And we're thankful that like like you set the tone for like um, how we view friendship, and like just you're the one that calibrates our expectations, and like you're you're the one you're the one that like just models friendship and just empowers all that kind of stuff. So we're thankful that you're in charge, and like and you're also good, yeah. So I pray you'll help me this morning, and we love you. Amen. All right. So friendship is about choosing friends wisely. About choosing friends wisely. So Proverbs 12.26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. There's a lot of simple but extremely foundational things uh, we can see in this proverbs. First, when it says the righteous," it's talking about righteousness in the Old, Old Testament sense of the, like the way of talking about it, which is people who follow God in both their heart and their life, and then their actions. And when it says that the righteous choose their friends carefully," it says that the righteous choose their friends carefully. Now, as tempting as it is to hone in on the word carefully, uh, let's first hone in on the word choose, which might be an overlooked word in here. The righteous choose friends. So choosing, at its most basic level, indicates that a righteous person isn't passive about friendship in general. They aren't lackadaisical or too busy for it. They prioritize it and make time for it. Life may be busy, work may be nuts, parenting may be stressful, but the righteous make time to pursue friends. Friendship is not something that's constantly on the back burner for the righteous where, eh, like maybe it'll fit in my schedule. Yeah, and this is where a lot of where some of us really tend to struggle because life as an adult is full and busy. Now, don't get me wrong; we often create our own treadmills when it comes to our own busyness. Like sometimes life happens to us, and then like that's where life is busy. But a lot of times we just create our own treadmills when it comes to, like, oh, I'm so tired. Life is bu-. well, you need to turn down the treadmill. So, but life is busy. But along those lines, it's instructive for us to be reminded about the parable that told that Jesus told um, just in Mark 4 about the four soils. So in Mark 4, Jesus describes four different kinds of soils, which represents the varying conditions of our heart when we hear the gospel. Okay? So eventually, you know, not to get lost in the weeds of everything um, of that parable and everything. So Jesus describes, eventually describes the, th- the third kind of soil, which we'll talk about right here, which he says is planted among the thorns. So he says that the seed, which is the gospel, is planted in that thorny soil, and that plant shoots up, and then what happens? Like He says that the thorns choke out that new plant, and as a result, that plant is totally unfruitful. So what does Jesus say that the thorns represent? He says it represents three things. It represents the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and our desires for other things. And when he says the desires for other things, that's just a junk drawer term for just like any desire that we have that supersedes our desire for Christ himself. So keep in mind, from a biblical perspective, the goal of friendship isn't friendship. <laughs> the goal of friendship isn't friendship. Now, like, the goal of friendship from a biblical perspective is to reflect the gospel and to become more like Jesus in the process. So, And some of us need to hear this. Like, Some of us are letting the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things lead us to a kind of lifestyle that's spiritually choking us out, like among, just like those thorns. And along with that, like our gospel centered friendships are just getting choked out too. Like those go hand in hand right there. And at this point in the sermon, I could give you a little pep talk about what friends, how friends are here to love us and guide us and like keep us grounded, which is true, okay? Which is true. But that idea isn't uniquely Christian. I mean, you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to know that. It's like a gospel centered outlook on friendship starts with God himself. So God Himself, He's eternally existed like in friendship and community in the Trinity as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like from eternity past. So when like like the God who we worship exists in community. You know. So when believers pursue friendship and community with each other, we are in a real way reflecting who God is. That's how God designed us. That's why the gospel is uniquely displayed in community. So that's why I'd encourage you um, don't let your pursuit of friendship or your spiritual life get choked out, like amongst those thorns with the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life, or the desires for other things. So friendship is not microwaved, it takes time and effort. But I'd encourage you like don't allow those things to like create treadmills like those things that Jesus like talked about like to create treadmills in our own life whereby there's no margin in our life for pursuing Jesus or real friendships with other believers. Like in the end the goal is to reflect um, the gospel and who god is and that's done in the context of community so like the practical application of that is like get involved in a small group those connection cards that andy talked about in the back there just fill one of those out get involved in a small group pursue people for breakfast or lunch like invite people over for supper like like um hospitality is not about like making this awesome meal or whatever whatever it's just like just like invite people over for supper Get yourself into the crockpot of pursuing imperfect friendships and relationships with others here at River City with the goal of reflecting who God is and becoming more like Jesus in the process. So back, for, back to Proverbs twelve twenty six. So it also says in that Proverbs that the righteous choose their friends carefully. And that's important because it says, the way of the wicked leads people astray. So, I'm not gonna belabor this point. um I'm not gonna belabor explaining what this verse doesn't mean, but what this verse doesn't mean is the way you become good is by staying away from people who are bad like um I could easily preach a whole sermon about that, but um that's just um, that's just a really sloppy and reductionistic way of like understanding spiritual growth, so But because spiritual growth is ultimately about sticking close to Jesus as opposed to keeping your distance from people. And I could go on a huge rabbit trail about that, but that's outside the scope of this sermon. But this verse is saying something. And what is it? What this verse is saying is that there is a such thing as friendships that result in you radically going your way instead of God's way. If that pertains to you, um, you really need to heed this proverb that the righteous choose their friends carefully. Like, God is calling you to put all of your friendships under the lordship of Christ because he's calling you to something much greater than a compartmentalized life. So, second point, like, friendship is about calibrating our expectations. Friendship is about calibrating our expectations. So the Bible in general, and the Proverbs in particular, uh, doesn't paint a romanticized view of friendship or marriage. And the reason I'm throwing marriage in there during a sermon about friendship uh, is because uh, for those of us who are married, we have the luxury of looking back in hindsight, and just kind of laughing about our romanticized view of marriage before we got married. So, for example, you might have thought that your spouse would always be smitten with you. You might have thought that you would never get annoyed with each other. You might have thought that you would never have any meaningful conflict. And you might have thought that your life would just be one really long, monogamous episode of The Bachelor. Like, man, it just would have... That's might of what you thought and you may have not even like had that as a concrete thought but that's like maybe like a subtle expectation that you might have had. But the reality is that even though marriage is totally worth it it doesn't take long for married couples for to rightfully give up on their romanticized view of marriage. Why? Because that view of marriage is just not realistic. Because real marriage comes with its share of, fair share of struggle and awkwardness and misunderstandings and forgiveness and conflict and reconciliation, in addition to all the fun and rewarding stuff about marriage. That's why we don't see a romanticized view of marriage in Proverbs. And that's also why we shouldn't be surprised to find out that Proverbs doesn't have a romanticized view of friendship either. So, Proverbs 27 6, like, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Yes, like, friends say hard things, and like, when the time is right, and like, oh, wounds from a friend can be trusted because they really care about me. Yeah, that's true. Let's slow clap it out for that. But let's, note, let's notice in that verse that, like, there's actual wounds from friends. Those wounds are real. Like, like wounds from friends doesn't fit any romanticized view of friendship that I know of. Like Proverbs 16, 28, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 9, Whoever would foster love covers covers over an offense. Hmm. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Even close friends, according to Proverbs, have conflict. There's often gossip involved. There's going to be offenses that require forgiveness, even offenses that get repeated. And the fruit of that is that friendships often experience cracks and strife where close friends aren't close anymore. Like, that doesn't fit any romanticized view of friendship that I know of. So, Christine Hoover, in the book that I mentioned earlier, makes a really gentle but persistent and convincing case that friendships when we were in high school and college often lulls us into an unrealistic, fantasy-like set of expectations for what friendships should look like in adulthood. In adulthood. So for the sake of simplicity, like, what typically characterizes those like, types of friendships in high school and college? It's like, they were pretty effortless, they were pretty easy, and they just kind of happened like it just didn't really take relatively speaking like a lot of time or effort or just like they just kind of happened and God bless those times in college and and high school but and God works through those times and everything but um, through those times and circumstances, but in a lot of ways, like, friendships in high school and college tend to calibrate our expectations for friendship in adulthood in the same way that the bachelor calibrates our expectations for marriage. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like I've never taken my wife on a balloon ride in Paris, and she's going to be real disappointed if she expects that, you know? It's like, that's just not real life. You know, and Christine Hoover so rightfully points out that almost all of us eventually let go of our unrealistic, romanticized view of marriage, but very few of us ever let go of, that, of, our, of our unrealistic, romanticized view of friendship. Like, you know what I'm talking about. That silent mental checklist of expectations that we all have. Having that romanticized mental checklist is not only unrealistic and unattainable, like, but it's also harmful to both ourselves and to the people that God has placed in our lives right now. So Christine Hoover says it this way. Do you see the romanticized view of friendship in your heart and mind? Take note of its shape and be quick to release it because it's a hindrance to real friendship. When we hold a romanticized view of friendship in our minds and believe it's attainable, we hold a standard above the heads of real people that God has sovereignly placed in our lives right now, and then we wonder why we're constantly disappointed by the realities, complexities, and difficulties in our relationships. And when she says that, um, what she's getting at is, uh, is trusting in God's sovereignty and his goodness in the pursuit of and struggle of friendship, and you know, when it comes to like the time and effort that it takes for those things, so, so if you struggle um, with being present um, and content when it comes to friendships, like I would really encourage you, and i really mean this, like I would really encourage you to study what it mean, like study in scripture, um, what it says about God's sovereignty and also His goodness. So what you'll find um if you want help with that like you can shoot me an email and like I can um help you with like getting started with that but what you'll find in that in studying like God's sovereignty and his goodness is that God isn't because often when we think about sovereignty like we think of like oh God is sovereign over the ends but like in reality he yes he is sovereign over the ends but he's also sovereign over the means to that end you know so even when those means are just like full of struggle and strife and just, like, time and effort and everything. So, like, he's sovereign even over, um, gosh, like, there's this there's this little book that um, Becky and I are reading together this summer called uh, Trusting God, and, like, you know, it's, like, this thick, but, like, it's not like, okay? So, like, it's this little thick uh, book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. It's just really gospel-centered. It focuses on who God is and everything. So, like, There's this one little chapter in like it's like chapter five that says um, it's about God's sovereignty over other people, (laughs) and like the essence of it in that because there's only like three four pages in that chapter and like he talks about like God's sovereignty over other people and how like even Jesus when he was murdered on the cross and he was sinned against in that way like God was even sovereign over that means to that end of like what he accomplished for us. You know when he talks about Joseph like in in Genesis and everything, so it's like when I am sinned against by a friend or whoever that is, um, you know is God sovereign over those means to that end? you know and like what does that mean for me trusting God like that's been really that's been really helpful for me for me to go through so and if I trust God that God is not just sovereign but also good, then I can freely choose to be present and content with the process of pursuing imperfect friendships with people that God has sovereignly placed in my life at this time. So Christine Hoover in that book, like she has this really interesting part where she like, because she moved across country eventually with her husband And, like, she looks back, like, 10, 15 years ago, like, when she lived in this other part of the country, and she was like, man, she's just, like, really struggled with friendship, I have no friends, like, all this kind of stuff. And she looks back on it now just with more, in her words, like, like, with more perspective and more maturity than she did, like, when she was younger. And, like, she just really sees how, like man like god god was indeed sovereignly placing friends in her life she didn't she the problem was that she didn't recognize them as friends because her vision was so blurred in her words by her romanticized understanding of friendship because no one fit that exact mold of a friend yeah and on a really practical note since god is sovereign and good like i'd encourage you to calibrate your expectations accordingly um, and be present where you're at in life right now. Um, so, for example, um, with your s- God bless smartphones. I own one, okay. But like with smartphones, you have a vehicle and a window into being completely not present wherever you are, and just living living in the past, pursuing friendships like with everybody in your past, and like from re- like where like. You know, back when, like, friendships were just, like, good and pure and awesome and, like, ideal. But, um, you know, and I think smartphones are good and everything. But, man, it's like, in the meantime, um, God is inviting you into the process of friendship right here in Dubuque and right here in River City. And, like, I would encourage you not to... I am not advocating, like, chucking friendships from the past or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that sometimes those, like, um, uh, just, like, deeply keeping in touch, throwing yourself into, like, friendships from, like, other times in our life can sometimes be a hindrance to, like, pursuing friendships that God has sovereignly put in your life right now to pursue. So you just got to figure out, like, what that looks like for you. And that's something to think and pray about. So. so lastly, a third one, friendship is about letting God be God. Friendship is about letting God be God. So when we, when we read Proverbs about friendship, um, it leaves us longing for more. So friendship is kind of messy. It doesn't seem like Proverbs like projects this view of friendship where friends like, um, friends are good and awesome and great and everything, but like they don't necessarily fulfill every need or want or desire like that I have. So if you're feeling that way when you read Proverbs, um, that's part of the point. <laughs> it's like Proverbs leads us in that direction on purpose. So with that in mind, so I'm going to read one last final quote from Christine Hoover. It's a little lengthy, so thanks for listening. Here's what she says. So she says, I always want to go to my friends with my pain. I want to talk, laying out all my disconnected thoughts so that my friends can connect them for me. I want to look to them for comfort, assurance, and love. I want to look to them for answers. But that's the problem. God is often showing me how much I use others for approval, admiration, and validation rather than coming to him he's pointing out how this has been self-destructive and detrimental to the to the very friendships i want to turn toward because it's putting too much weight on the wrong shoulders these kind of cravings whether voiced or kept hidden breed conflict among friends of course there are countless seeds for conflict in friendships Harsh words, neglect, misunderstandings, different priority levels given to the friendship, a lack of sensitivity, or even differing personalities. But at the very heart of ongoing conflict often lies an unmet craving. Perhaps it's for validation to feel chosen, to be liked above another, to be fully supported always, to have that one perfect friend who never disappoints, or to have constant companionship. When those cravings aren't met, the Bible says our internal desires for self-focused pleasure go to war within us. And the fruit of that war, jealousy, envy, gossip, self-loathing, distancing, comparison, self-pity, spills out and over into our relationships. We become walking wounds, looking for others to save us and to eat And each time, we're inevitably disappointed by another. Our wounds split open all over and we bristle. Sometimes we strike out in loud, dramatic ways, and other times we seethe in quiet, hidden ways, all with the same words pounding in our hearts that says, this isn't enough. Do you know why it it isn't enough? Do you know why this desire turns to craving and gives birth to, to resentment? Do you want to know why we're so easily hurt and offended? Because we've taken a good desire to be known and understood and laid it at the feet of people. We've crafted people into gods. We believe that if people finally understood or finally became the friends we were looking for, then somehow the challenges we face would be eased or erased altogether. Sometimes a friend is who we seek them to be, And a sense of satisfaction settles in for a time. We think we've found the elusive friend we've always sought. But eventually it vanishes as quickly as it came. You know why? Because only God can give us the validation and love that we long for. Only God can meet our needs perfectly. Only God knows us fully. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. In other words, no one can fully know our joy or our grief. We can spend 50 years and join an intimate group of besties, and we will never, they will never know us anywhere close to how God knows us already at this very moment. Other people don't have the capacity that God does, so we shouldn't expect God-like capacity from them. That was really helpful for me when I read that. So when we, can, when we ask our friends to be something for us that only God is meant to be for us, um, those friendships invariably go sideways in one way or another. Because like we're loading too much weight on the, on the wrong shoulders. like We're putting those on our friends. You know, because so like i'm i'm officiating a wedding um in a couple weekends so don't tell anybody this but i basically give the same sermon every time like at a wedding so, the not much like the attendees don't overlap too much or whatever so um so like i think cuz i think like the first time i gave like this illustration at um at a wedding i think it might have been Greg and Nikki's when i officiated theirs i think um but man it was uh, Basically, like, like if we have, like, all these, like, man, like, I want my spouse to, like, never leave me, never forsake me, you will always approve of me, you will always be everything for me, and you just put those, that weight, like, you pick up that boulder and you give that to your spouse, like, what happens is that that crushes your spouse. But that's true, like, that analogy could be given for any relationship, because, like, we're going to crush our friends when we do that, you know? And that's when, like, that's one of the reasons why, like, there's conflict in relationships, like, if you go deep enough um, into, like, why the conflict is happening. But, man, it's just, like, um, but the good news is that, like, God wants to be all of those things for us, and he wants to carry that, and carry that for us. So, and, and as I look back on my life, and if I'm honest with myself, um, I think a pretty big percentage of the conflict and the feelings of frustration and hurt that I've had with friendships over the course of my life, um, I think in one way or another, a big part of it can be traced back to that problem right there. Is that like, I'm asking my friends to be something for me that only God is meant to be for me. So... And what God is inviting us all of us into is the turn from putting our hopes and our dreams, ultimate hopes and ultimate dreams and ultimate longings on the shoulders of our friends and instead let God let God Himself carry those things. And our, that's when like friendships really make sense. And when we do that, we're acknowledging Him like God Himself as our Savior, our friend and our leader. And, we'd, and we invite you to respond to him that way in communion. As you turn from what he's calling you to turn from, whether that's like, you know, the priority of friendship or just like, or whatever it is, we remember that he is our true friend that will never leave us and never forsake us. And that like, while we were still his enemies, he sent Jesus to die for us. And that's why he is our foundation for all of our friendships with each other. That's why we strive to understand friendship in the light of who God is. So the bread symbolizes his body, and the juice represents his blood, which were broken and shed for you. Like he took the initiative towards us, like he took the hit for us. And that's why we respond to him by laying everything at his feet, even our pursuit of friendships with others. So if Jesus is your forgiver and leader, we invite you to take communion this morning. So there's two stations in the back. Uh, The worship team is going to be playing three songs, and you can um, go on up on your own, like whenever you're ready. So we aren't going to be dismissing everybody by rows or anything like that, but um, you don't need to be a member here to take communion. You only need to belong to Jesus. Let's pray. So God, thank you so much that um, you just really call us to like, just see, first of all, see who you are and just like. And then um, we can really, like, receive friendship as just, like, the good gift that you have for us, God. So thank you for for being, um, yeah, thank you for being, like, everything for us, that, like, um, you're never going to leave us, and you, you just give us, like, identity and purpose and longings um, just for yourself. So, yeah, so really thankful for you, God, and I pray that, like, just as a community um, that's on mission together, that we'll really pursue friendships um, with each other and just with others, like, outside of your family so that, like, people can know you, God. So, yeah, and we love you. Amen.